Praise the Lord. How many can say a big amen to that tonight? I've not always been faithful. And from what I know about most of you all, y'all ain't either. How many times have we have so failed him, questioned? You said, I ain't never failed him. You ever got afraid whenever your faith was tested? You failed him. Afraid. He told us over and over again, fear not, fear not, fear not. Why do we do it? This right here. It gets afraid. And it questions and it doubts. And, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. You failed him. What'd you do? Miss the mark. Thank God for grace. Amen. Amen. Isn't it wonderful to be, be able to meet together tonight in the house of God? And we're privileged, aren't we? Um, we're going to pray here a late uh, prayer request. Please pray for Nora Bremen, Snodgrass, Nora, surgery on her right finger. It's infected. Brianna, I guess it is, has been sick and throwing up all day. Anybody else has a need and request you'd like to just raise your hand before the Lord. Also like for you to remember Eric, if you would. She's had to have uh, platelets uh, this week, twice on Monday. Uh, fluids yesterday, fluids today, fluids tomorrow, possibly fluids on Friday. And they stopped the chemo last Friday. Um, and all that changes nothing right. as far as God's promise. But she's still very weak, and I know she'd appreciate your prayers tonight. <clears throat> Let's just go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, you've told us to come before the throne of grace with boldness. So, Lord, we don't come tonight as beggars, as slaves, as people who are, as we said here on Sunday, terrified by vengeful, angry God. But we come before our loving, caring Heavenly Father that never lets anything happen to a child of God, even though it may be difficult without there being a reason behind it. And we're grateful, Lord, that whenever you do not tell us the reasons, that you give us strength to be able to believe you and trust you and keep going. Lord, you heard this prayer request here with these two individuals that we uh, read tonight. Lord, we're asking you for your mercy. You see surgery, Lord, and become infected and the other need. And Lord, there was many hands that was uplifted. No doubt, people that are streaming tonight, they had something on their heart, a request. We bring them all before you tonight, Father. And we're believing you. That's what we do. We're not just doing something out of the ordinary because we're in real desperate need. This is what we do every day of our life. We believe you, we live for you, we trust you. Lord, it's what we do. Yeah. It's just who we are. You're not like a spare tire to us that whenever we get in distress that we throw off our cussing and throw off our lying and boy, we jack our old car up and throw on Jesus on our flat side. No. It, we, we have Jesus every day, every hour of our life. And we're so grateful, Lord, that whenever the hard times come, that we're on really good terms with you because it gives us confidence to know that you hear us when we pray. So, Father, we're asking you tonight that you just move. 
Lord, you see Erica's needs. You see, Father, the doctors trying to do what they can to help her and get through this difficult time. We thank you for that. But, Lord, ultimately, our healing comes from you. Amen. And we're believing you tonight, Father, as we've come. Well, I pray that you'd open our hearts to your word. We're a needy people, and we say it a lot. But yet, Father, we're not ashamed to signify by our speech, by our raising of our hands, that we have many needs, but our God is bigger than them all. Amen. So we bring them all to you tonight because you care for us, so we're casting all of our cares on you. In the name of the Lord Jesus. And the saints said, Amen. God bless you. We say we read together tonight from the book of Nehemiah. Been a while since we've read from that book, right? Seven days. So, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. You say, when are you ever going to get out of that? Oh, I don't know, whenever the Lord lets me. We may leave this chapter tonight and go over to chapter 9. I don't know, but I'm just enjoying being here. I don't think we'll ever get this word preached out, do you? No, no, we broke into eternity. <clears throat> I'm sure it must have been a, a, an awesome day whenever this was written. It must have been so exhilarating for the believers, uh, for those who had caught the time and the season. It was so special to them. And I, I can't keep from believing that they were so affected by what we're fixing to read here that the others that were there had totally missed the right frame of mind that they should have. They were uh, truly, some of them, recalling what the former glory had been in the days of Solomon. Now remember, whenever it comes back to this time, uh, they had not found the Ark of the Covenant, which to this day has not yet been found. So they were missing the pot of manna. They were missing Aaron's rod. They were missing several things out of this temple, which they had now consecrated. Could not God have allowed it to have been saved? And then whenever they come back, said it, sure, he could have if he would have wanted to do so. But having been to Israel a couple of times, and as we were there a few years ago, Carol and I, we stood um, where so many of the wonderful things in the pre-tabernacle days happened at Shiloh. And there we were able to see some of the foundations that dated back for thousands and thousands of years during the time of Samuel, during the time of David. And then we saw, and as they would do then, totally different than we do now, you buy a house, you call for somebody to come in with a dozer and just scrape it all off the top. That's not the way they would do it. They would actually get sand and rocks and all that and just lay right on top of what was there. They didn't dig all that out. So they would make what is called a tell, T-E-L-L. So they would build right on top, one on top of another, of another, of another. So over several period of thousands of years, that mountain or hill would actually grow in size because it'd be destroyed, they'd build on top of it, destroyed, they'd build on top of it. So as we were there in Shiloh, and they had just made some discoveries prior to us getting there. And they had already dated it back to Samuel and prior to that even, and to David. And then they find some Roman architecture while we were there. It just happened while we were actually there. I took pictures of it. 
And they also had just found uh, during the time frame when the Christians was there, a mosaic of a floor which was there with an emblem of Christ's head. So there you had all these centuries to where people had counted this place sacred. And what was there now? Tents, rocks, dirt, hardly no grass, and no place to worship. Why? God had moved on. Well, why hadn't God told them to build the temple there? For whatever reason, God moved on and left Shiloh. Now, whenever you come to Jerusalem, then they had a certain criterion of that that must be built. Now they've rebuilt it. The ark isn't there. Cherubims aren't there. The holy place is not like it was then. So is God not going to go into it? He is. Why wasn't it the same as what it was? Apparently, he didn't want it that way. You know, it's very difficult for us to change when God is changing. Because we tend to get in a certain set way, and boy, we can't hardly be budged out with dynamite. You'll miss God if you don't do it. Now, watch here. So they read in the book and the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Now, the setting is Jerusalem. Remember under Nebuchadnezzar, 586, something like that. It was destroyed. And I told you, I saw a picture not long ago where they just dug it up recently in the city of David in the ancient ruins. And there were timbers from some of the original buildings that were built in the time whenever the first temple was built. And it was burned so much it was like charcoal and the carbon 14 dated it. And it was actually dated back to the time when the temple was burned. So you and I are privileged to be able to see pictures of such whenever the saints of God in this time would have come in and leveled right over the top of those same timbers. Now why didn't they dig down and dig them up and try to, you know, infuck something into something of those timbers and let's just use them over again. And my, they were the original house of God. God had moved on. So they come in, verse 9, and Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. More not, nor we. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be you sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. May the Lord bless his word. You may be seated. But the way they're looking at it, it seems it was lesser glory. There wasn't so much gold in this one. There wasn't so much silver, purple, crimson, blue, and so on. It certainly did not look as it did in the days of Solomon. What was also missing was not only the furniture that I'd mentioned to you, but when Solomon had dedicated the original temple of God 
And the scripture says that the Lord came down and went in to the house of God and the glory of God was so great that the priest could not even minister because the glory of God had entered into the house of God. But yet, we do not find that happening in the dedication of this one. Now, we would look at that and think, well, it cannot be as great, can it? The ark is not there. The cherubims are not there. We don't really think that the menorah was there because on the Arch of Titus, for those of you who have been in Rome, I've seen it myself, the Arch of Titus, which is displayed there in the great way in Rome, and it shows the Roman soldiers carrying the depiction of the menorah, the seven-branched candlestick taken from the house of God, and here they were carrying it off as a trophy. So God, you know, when God moves from one time to another, from one sphere of glory to another. Sometimes it's so misunderstood by us humans. Now, whenever they dedicated this, there wasn't even a wall around the city. There was no great government that was set up yet, yet they had a place to worship. And we know that there was two vital things that got Israel in trouble over and over again. And we may not get to it tonight, but we will eventually. And it was something that was repetitive in their nature. And it was very difficult for them in keeping the Sabbath. And something else that they tended to err in over and over again. And that was that they would not keep separated from the people that were around them. God warned them over and over again not to marry among the unbelievers. And yet they did it over and over again consistently. And in with that, it was a negligence on the part of Israel when it come to the house of God. Now, God done a little bit different this time than he did in the days of David. David had built a house of cedar and had a beautiful place to live. And David said to the prophet Nathan, he said, is it right that I should live in a house of cedar? And I had the, my God is over here under this tent of animal skins. And the prophet Nathan said, David, do all is, that is in your heart. Now, Nathan was a good man. But remember, Nathan did not have the word of the Lord concerning that. So that night, Brother Ram tells us that God came to Nathan and told him to go to David and tell him he had too much blood on his hands. He said, I will not allow you to build this house for me, but one coming out of your loins will build the house of God. Now we know that God's speaking, of course, of Solomon, which God renamed Jedidiah. And God claimed him as his own son. In him was the anatype of Christ because God said he will be my son. And yet the glory of his kingdom was a great glory. But whenever we see it rebuilt now, it wasn't even in the same order. 
Solomon's house and David's house and all the way they done it. Yet now they're building the house of God and they don't even have a wall around it to protect it. Why does God do things differently? Well, I'm not sure that I understand exactly why it does it every time, but all I know is I want to be a part of whatever he's doing. Even if it ain't quite like he moved the last time for me, I want to be aware of what's going on, don't you? Sometimes I wonder if he doesn't do it just to kind of shake us up a little bit. Because we are creatures of habit. We're very monotonous, really, when you look at it. And we're very repetitive in our actions and our behavior. And we know that our God doesn't always do it in the same way that we do. So some of the people here, whenever they had now worshipped and they had the house of God and they were very sad when they heard the word read and this emotion had struck them, but it was the wrong one. I think from this we're able to draw a great story because whenever we go through certain things in our lives, such as trials, tests, difficulties, for many of us, our reaction most of the time is not joy. When people cast our name out as evil, generally it is not in us uh, by repetitive nature to leap for joy and be so happy and so glad that people are running me down. Oh, I'm telling you what, I'm just so uplifted. I am just, and yet that's exactly what the Lord Jesus taught us to do. Leap for joy and be exceedingly glad when they cast your name out as evil. Isn't that amazing? Now, you, you see that we can actually respond in the wrong way to the will of God. Now, they were hearing the word read. There was nothing wrong with that. And they were actually not hearing it, not only hearing it read. Because remember, their language had now become hybridized. Because part of them spoke Hebrew. Part of them spoke a mixture of Hebrew and Chaldean. Some of them spoke in the language of the Ashdodites. So why was this going on? Because they had assimilated into the people that were around them. This is the very reason God did not want them marrying among them. And it's the same way today. God wants his believing children to marry of the same faith. Well, praise the Lord. A message boy or a message girl has no right marrying a Pentecostal. They have no right marrying a Methodist or a Baptist. In reality, a message boy or girl who really believes in the opening of the word has no business marrying somebody that's dyed in the wool tapes because there ain't no way in the world they're ever going to have peace in that home. Because the other one will want to play tapes only and you believe in the fullness of the word and you'll want to go to church somewhere and sit under a God called man. It'll be nothing but trouble and heartache. That's right. Oh, you say we believe the same message. I beg your pardon, we do not. Some of these people who believe some of these doctrines around the message don't even believe the Bible, much less Brother Branham. They do not have a foundation which is scriptural. Y'all gonna preach with me tonight? They do not have a foundation which is scriptural. They do not have a message which is backed up to be able to tie right into the word of God. How can a man and woman ever marry and expect to have a happy home with such a foundation as that? Well, preach, Brother Donnie. 
That's right. But you see, this is the state that they were in. Now, under the administration of Ezra, Ezra had already started this cycle in among them. I'll tell you what, you folks think I'm rough? If you think I'm rough, read a little bit in the book of Ezra, and you'll find out how rough a preacher can really get. I'm telling you what these old boys got with the program. Ezra and Nehemiah, I'm telling you, they were rough. Some of these people had married Ashdodite wives and this and that and the other, and they told them to get away from them and separate them. Now, you're talking about a hard thing, that they actually told them to get away from their wives and get away from their children because they had compromise. Well, praise the Lord, because God knew this is what it would be. And it's the same way whenever we read about the word in the day that we're living, that it's not just enough to be able to quote the word, but we must have the present tense of the word to see what God is saying and thinking and the way God is moving. I love the way that Brother Renham says it when he says that the bride has thus saith the Lord. But the bride not only has the word, but he also says she has the mind of Christ to know what he wants done with the word. Every doctrine, every split, every, you know, every cult that's in this message, and there are cults in this message, every cult that is in this message, every one of them have quotes, very few of them use for scriptures, but mostly quotes, but they have quotes to back up what they say that they believe. And they say they're the only ones with the truth. And generally when they go to saying that, you know right there, there's a red flag that goes up. But yet to be able to prove their doctrine by the Bible, they could and do it to save their life. Now why? Because they really believe this message is something brand new. They do not believe this message is a restoration back to apostolic faith. And when we do that, we make Brother Branham a liar and a false prophet. When we believe and preach that this message is new, Brother Branham, when he was carried beyond the curtain of time, the first thing, one of the first things that he said there was not that well I brought a new message I brought something totally new I don't have to go back to the Bible he said if Paul's people make it so will mine because I preach what Paul preached and what did you all ring out and say we are resting on that so you see those who say they believe the message and do not believe that they do not believe the message at all they have a man-made make-believe of what they think the message is, but it's not the real message. Well, I don't know why in the world I'm saying this tonight, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Why? Because God's prophet was not sent to replace the Bible. If you'll notice, whenever the Bible reads this about Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites, they were not there writing a new book. They were not there saying, well, you don't need this anymore. But they were there just simply giving sense to the word. What did Malachi 4 do for us? It gave us the sense we needed for this age to point us back to the mind of God. 
of what God wanted done with his word. It's evident. Even a lot of them people who say they believe the message, they don't have a clue what God wants done with his word. They think God wants all the preachers to sit down and shut up and push play. That's what they think is the mind of God. Well, then you've got God changing his mind. You've also got Brother Branham saying things that are totally wrong. As a matter of fact, Brother Branham said the highest calling in the end of anything on the earth today is a God called man. If you'll do a little search sometime and you'll put it in parenthesis when you type it in, what we need, you'll find over and over again that your prophet said we need men of God in the pulpit preaching the word. So I want to know where this come from that men of God are supposed to sit down and shut their mouth. I'll tell you right exactly where it come from, the gates of hell. That's where it come from, the gates of hell. It is not the Bible, it is not the message, and no true Holy Ghost filled believer believes such trash and nonsense. Well, praise the Lord. That's right. Why? Because if the tapes is what will close out the church, then the Lord Jesus made a mistake in the foundation of the apostolic move since he started it out with preaching and he's going to close it out with tapes. He's not the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, if I can't believe Hebrews 13, 8, how can I believe James 5? How can I believe John 3, 16? How can I believe Genesis 1, 1? Come on, children. Oh, my. But my Bible tells tells me he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he started out this church under an order of the apostles and the prophets and evangelists and teachers and Paul went forth and he told Timothy to go forth and ordain elders in every city and now we go in and ordain tape players, we go in and ordain MP3 players, you're off the word. And it will not produce rapture faith, it cannot produce rapturing faith because it does not line up with the scriptures. Well, praise the Lord. Now you see some people will hear this and whenever they do it's going to make them mad because we have all kinds of spies that, that spy out on our service. Can you imagine that you log in and you're a spy for those who've left the message? We have them that do that too. And for whatever reason they love Wednesday nights so they click in on Wednesday night and they like to hear what I've got to say and Brother Tim has got to say and other brothers have got to say so they want to go down through there and find every little fault of whatever that they can find. Then you've got others that don't believe in the ministry and they log in. What I'm hoping is that some of them that log in one of these days will get saved. Wow, wouldn't that be something? They'd really get saved. You know, they're in there just to find fault and they're writing down this and writing down that and writing down that so they can send me another email and they're writing down this and writing down that. My, my, wouldn't it be awesome that one night when they're writing it down and the Holy Ghost just struck their heart and they make an altar right there beside their computer and really get born again? Hallelujah. But you see, the people themselves had missed the tense of what was going on, like we tend to do sometimes. Whenever we're going through hard times and we tend to wonder, well, God, is something wrong? Have I missed you somewhere? Have I sinned? Have I fallen short of your glory? Why difficult times are coming my way? And why are hard times, Lord, how would 
once you let such things come to a child of God, I can understand, Lord, how these old rank sinners out here, uh, they'd have the office time ever was. They have TB and cancer and this and that and the other. But why in the world would that ever happen to a child of God and a person that is not taught and does not have their experience rooted in thus saith the Lord, it will shake them off their very foundation. But to a true believer, even when they do not understand it, their faith is not based upon what they understand about life's trials. Their faith is based upon thus saith the Lord. And they water that by the grace of God until it comes to fruition in their life. Now, read with me if you would in the book of Colossians chapter 1 verse 11. And Paul said, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Now listen how God had this inspired servant of God to couple this together. And one way you'd think it wouldn't even fit. But he says, strengthen with all might according to his glorious dunamis unto all patience. Oh, I love this word, patience. Enduring steadfastness, constancy, endurance in the New Testament, the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. A patient, enduring, sustaining, and perseverance. And yet Paul joins together unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. So Paul implies hopeful waiting and suffering with joyfulness must be a come together. But we think, wait a minute, that don't make any sense. You see, we miss the tense. When we leave joyfulness out of our trials, when we leave joyfulness out of our tests, that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. Then we become like these people were and were so sad and were so downtrodden and were so burdened and were so heavy. Why? We've got the trials and we've got the patience and we're believing and we're trusting but we don't have the joyfulness which is supposed to be there in the midst of our test. It has been said, joy not rooted in the soil of suffering is shallow. Joy not rooted in the soil of suffering is shallow. You see, joy that is just based upon our bills are paid, the weather's not. My, wasn't it a beautiful day today? Sun shining 80 degrees. Oh, it was so warm and so nice. Well, it's supposed to be raining, I think, tomorrow. So y'all gonna get up all sourpuss and you're gonna be just sad all day, grouching, contrite. Let's just be honest. Most of us prefer those warm, beautiful days, whatever your, your choice of temperature is and the wind hardly blowing at all and oh my oh it's just so easy to smile is it not it's so easy to smile and that's the way that we face the trials of life if it's just mild and the trial is not too bad and it's pretty easy and we pray in five minutes God answered that prayer oh we're great praise God how's the trial man I'm right on I'm telling you what oh praise the Lord but whenever it comes a week or ten days or two weeks or a month and this is going on it's become 
come and extend it and extend it. And you're saying, Lord, what in the world is going on? That's the very best time if you're in season of the sequence of the word because your joy is not rooted just in the shallow dirt of the circumstances happening around you. But it is rooted in long suffering and patience and you can be just as happy if God says no as if he says yes if you know it's his will. But see the way that we look at it, my, it's so sad for most Laodiceans, that they look at it in such a way, they want, oh yes, well to be honest with you, my humanity might, but my soul really doesn't. There's been many times I've asked God for an answer and God would say no or wait a while. It took me a long time to get to a spot to where I could be able to accept that with joyfulness because if that's the will of God, it's actually better for me to have a delay than if it answered me every time because actually I'd become worse. I'd become worse than what I am right now and I'll go ahead and say it for you too you all would become worse too so sometimes he says no sometimes he says wait a while sometimes he says after a while and then sometimes he says nothing at all boy that's when it gets tough notice in verse 12 then Paul speaking about trials and patience and he says giving thanks unto the father which has made us Meat. Now notice, not M-E-A-T, but M-E-E-T. Meat. You're talking about a beautiful word. Make able to make sufficient. Render fit. Now notice who's done this. You have not done it yourself. And this is another reason that you have to add to your list of things to be thankful for that the Lord has made you to be meat. Giving thanks unto the Lord which has made us meet. Oh, glory. He has made us, made us able to make us sufficient, render fit, to equip one with adequate power to perform duties of one. Now we wonder, and we look back at trials in our life and things that we went through. Oh man, I, I remember when Sister Vicky and her children were going through the situation with Brother Warren and it was so difficult and, and so sad for them and sad for us as a church family as well. And no doubt they were saying, Lord, how are we gonna do this? How are we gonna face it? Lord, if you take him, how are we gonna be able to do it? But look at him. Was, was the burden all rolled away and it was uh, all the hardship gone? No, but how are they doing it? How are they coping? the very God who took our brother is the very God who gave them the ability and made them meet for the circumstance. And you look and say, I wish I could see God somewhere. It's him in you helping you to cope with this age. It's him in you helping you to do your duties when they are so hard and sometimes you say, I cannot put one foot in front of the other, yet by the grace of God, you do it. You do it today, you'll do it tomorrow, you'll do it on Friday, you'll do it on Saturday, is that right? And how do we do it? Because he has made us meet in the inheritance of the saints. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh my, let me read this meaning again. To make sufficient, render fit, to equip one with adequate power to perform duties. 
Notice, duties of what? Now let's read the scripture again. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Oh my. Look what we have been made to be partakers of. Not money, not gold, not silver, not this, that, the other. Your greatest inheritance is not your house. Your greatest inheritance is not your job. Your greatest inheritance is light. Praise God. Light. Notice this in verse 13. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness? Amen. This is the power of Satan who himself was at one time a part of the kingdom of light. And still is an angel of light, but it's amazing because he's an angel of light, but he's prince of the darkness. Who hath delivered us? This is where we were. We were in the power of darkness. And I want you to notice what Paul ventures out to say. And he says that he has already done it. Translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Not in the future. Not in the future. You know who's going into translation? Those who have been translated. Praise the Lord. That ain't very hard to see. Who's going in the rapture, Brother Larry? Those who've already been raptured out of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Praise the Lord. The word here rendered translated is often used in the sense of removing a people from one country to another. It means that those who are Christians have been transferred from one kingdom to another as if they were a people having been removed out of one status and they become the subjects of a new kingdom under different laws, under a different government. Praise the Lord. I'll tell you one thing, that's enough to make a Baptist shout good. And this change is made in the regeneration. So we pass from the kingdom of darkness. We have been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Oh my. Notice in verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Thank God. Even the forgiveness of sins. You see the joy of the Christian. You say, well, remember Brother Donnie, what about my bills? He never said nothing about your bills being paid. He never said nothing about the price of gas, the price of diesel, price of electricity, how much inflation's going up. Our joy, our joy is too much on this stuff out here. We're sad because of all this stuff out here when we ought to be happy because of all this stuff right here. Our true happiness should not just be the inflation is coming down. My, isn't it amazing how they've got us in this psyche of ours that now we're looking at and saying, praise God, gas is down to $3.99. Well, look what they've done to us. Now we think it's a good deal to buy it for $3.99. And we feel happy. We start to sinner and smile, pumping in $175. <laughs> oh, if it was to drop down to $350, what would some, some of y'all that ain't smile in six weeks? You're back. Glory to God. What was it, honey? Gas is down to $349. It ain't no wonder. 
Our joy is up and down and in and out and gone out the window. We're joying about the wrong stuff. My goodness, a glimpse, just a glimpse, one simple glance at our humanity and our imperfections ought to be enough to make every one of us get down so low we can't hardly stand it. If we looked at that all of our life, we'd never be happy. But we gotta look at glory. We are accepted in the beloved. Amen. I'm not accepted before God because I preach the majority of my life. I'm not accepted because I study the message. Because I've done this or that or that, I'm accepted on one basis. I'm accepted in Christ Jesus. Amen. Notice this in Jehovah of Miracles, the prophet said, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength, isn't it? That's the, our strength. That's how we live, is by the joy of the Lord that's in our midst. Well, if that's the way we live, then what happens when we don't have it? We die. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Shame on us. Listen to this. The house of the Lord. Whoa. Is the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is the joy of his people. The house of the Lord is the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord is the joy of his people. He wants you to stay home because you don't need to come to church no more because there's a new revelation. Lies. Lies. He wants you to come to church, but he don't just want you to come to church. When you get there, he wants you to worship him. And be happy. And giving praise and honor and glory and wisdom and might, oh glory, and power to God. He wants you to do that. Oh, friends, just coming to church, that's just part of it. Then all the rest of these things are added into the equation. Well, if he wants me to do that, I want to do every one of them on that list. Don't you? With all of my heart. Notice this in the church age book. Have you ever noticed how the world gets into the spirit of things that are in the world? They go to their ball games, their sporting events, and their dances. They enter into the spirit of it. They don't sit there like wallflowers, old dried up sticks. They enter right into the field of things and become a part of things. But oh, how they hate the Christians for getting into the spirit of God's word. They call us fanatics and holy rollers. There's nothing they won't do to show their hatred and disapproval. But ignore that. You can expect it knowing where it's coming from. Just go on and get in the spirit of worship. Amen. 
Just go on and get in the spirit of worship. Well, old sister so-and-so, she's watching me every time I raise my hand. Well, just go right ahead and ignore her. Oh, sister so-and-so, because you're not worshiping her no how, you're worshiping the Lord Jesus. Well, the devil don't want me to do this and that. Well, that's the best reason I know. Second best reason anyway. First best reason is do it because Jesus wants you to. And the second best reason is when the devil tells you not to. The devil knows better than tell me not to dance. I'll dance right on his head. He says, you better not do this. He just agged me on right there. You better not preach this. Oh, I will. Come on now, children. Oh, he is lying to me today, telling me a bunch of lies. I repeated the same thing I told you. I'll tell him. So I told him, I said, so, huh? So you started working for God now, old boy. Did you get saved last week at church? He was out of there in five minutes' time. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just go on and get in the spirit of worship. You know, like a ball game. Everybody in the stadium, scores tied. There's three on one of them, first and second and third. Strike. That old boy standing there feeling the pressure. He hits that thing, I mean, sails it, plumb out of the park. Them old boys on first, second, and third. They ain't worried. They done got a home run. If you could only understand it right, Jesus has got us on first, second, and third. And he done knocked the home run. Jesus done knocked a home run. We are going home. Amen. He has done made a way so we can go right on. Out of my way sickness, out of my way sorrow, out of my way sadness, out of my way trouble. If I want to walk, I walk. If I want to run, I'll run. As a matter of fact, if I want to get down and crawl, I'll crawl because I am going home. I've done been knocked in home by the Jesus. Oh, my, I love this. He says, our spirit is clean. It is fresh. It is real. It is sober and serious, but nonetheless, full of the joy of the Lord. The Christian ought to be just as exuberant and full of his pleasure in the Lord as the world is when it savors and delights in its pleasures. Brother Donnie, I don't like ball. I fish. Okay. We'll go to the lake with you. so relaxing. Wow. 
I'm so calm. And all of a sudden your rod goes, you say, Lord, have mercy, I've got a trophy. Help me, help me. Boy, if you do that way when I preach. If you say, come on, boy. Come on, brother Donnie, come on. Let me pull some. <laughs> Glory to God, I need help, brother Donnie. Come on, let me pull it out of you, man of God. Come on, brother Dale. Come on, brother Webb. I need help. I need healing. I need deliverance. I've got a hold of it. I'm going to keep on pulling until I bring it home. Both Christians and the world are human. Both have emotions. The difference is the Christian's hearts and emotions are purely on the Lord of glory and his love, while the world satisfies the flesh. So I think it's time, brother, sister, that we do this in Nehemiah 8.10. Then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. You only realize when you go through a trial, the prophet of God said it's the greatest thing that ever happened to you because you have found favor in the eyes of God. How many wants that kind of favor? None of us. Oh, three or four of you? Well, good. Praise the Lord. Got a few saved folks in here. Glory. But we would most of the time would rather choose easy things, nice things. Oh, how many wants a great testimony for the Lord? You Now you're afraid to raise your hands. Right? I did that myself, right? But look at the word, testimony. T-E-S-T-I-M-O. N Y. Test I moany and groany and complaining. Well, I guess I'm the only one. Apparently, the Lord wanted me to preach this to me tonight. I guess, Carol, I mean, you could stay at home. I could just preach this to us. Notice verse 11. So the Levites still all the people saying, Hold your peace, for this day is holy, neither be you grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. To have the Holy Scriptures with us. Oh, it's such a wonderful thing. But it's even beyond that when you can understand what they're saying. To understand them is a great mercy of the Father's revelation to you. That he mercifully gives you. You, you say you're tonight, and it, we hear so much, and it's so common to us. And we read Matthew 28 and 19, and yet probably, if you ain't, you should, every person here has been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet you read Matthew 28 and 19 with 100% assurance you have obeyed that to the very letter. Well, you cannot be able to read that just by reading our English Bible and then you were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I fulfill Matthew 28 and 19 without an understanding. 
So it's not just the scripture quoting it alone that will tie it together, but it's the scripture plus the understanding that makes Acts 2.38 so real to us. And yet countless of thousands of people read Matthew 28, 19, and they will go down under the titles of Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and they were not baptized into the church, baptized into the Catholic Church. Oh, my. Is that right? So what is it? Oh, you say, well, it's the Scripture. It is the Scripture, but it's the Scripture with the right understanding. You see, when the words are declared, that within itself is a wonderful thing. And the people heard it, but when they heard the scripture, they wept and they cried and they lamented. What was it that changed it around and brought joy? When these anointed servants of God begin to bring it in season and say, hey, hey, don't, don't, no, no, no. This is a time to rejoice. It's a great time. This is our time. This is our hour. Then they said, oh, okay. Well, it wasn't that they printed a new version of the Bible. It wasn't that they went and found a new book somewhere, but there were men there that was able to put it in its proper sense. Oh. Notice this, Nehemiah 8.13. And on the second day were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests, and the Levites, and Ezra the scribe, even to... Ah. So now they're not just going to read them. They're going to understand. The words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths. And the feast of the seventh month. So the spiritual leaders had discovered this instruction, of course, in Leviticus 23. And this was celebrated from the 15th unto the 22nd of the seventh month, which is Tishra. Seventh month Tishra, which is equivalent to our October. So they discovered these instructions on the second day of the seventh month. Notice God's season. Now they didn't figure this out on the first month or the eleventh month or the eighth month, but God timed it so they would be able to keep this feast with a new understanding. In what month? Seventh month. Oh, so the timing itself was perfect. Now, you remember the Feast of the Booths? How many know what it was? Feast of the Booths, Feast of the Tabernacles? All right, what it was. Whenever they, God gave them seven feasts. We'll go back to it sometime. But this was the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. And it was a remembrance to signify when they came out of the land of Egypt and they dwelt in the wilderness. And God said, I want every one of you to leave your houses. So it'd be like you, 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 all of us. And we would move out of our house and we would build a temporary shelter in our yard or in our backyard somewhere. And we would stay out there for seven days in a memorial of what was going, a memorial of being brought out of the land of Egypt. You see, this is in parallel, of course, until our millennium when we will build our houses. In the millennium, we will build our houses. They built their houses or their booths and they moved in there and they kept it in this month of Tishra. Now, it's not that they had never kept this before before they had. But what was the difference now in the way they were keeping it? Their understanding produced a different attitude. 
Now they had kept the Feast of Tabernacles before. And you look back through some of the books there and even through the ancient writers and you can see that they kept it. But this, now they're in the middle of a revival. And revival always brings new light. Oh my. Revival not only gets everybody all fired up and all stirred up, but it will always point you back to a word of life lived by the scripture. Now, notice here in, in verse 15, that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities in Jerusalem, saying, go forth unto the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths as it is written, a true revival in your heart or in our church. That does not lead us back to the word. It cannot be a true revival. It's a false one. Oh, glory to God, we're having such revival in our church. We just got away done with our Bible. Will your revival come from hell? A true revival leads you back to the word. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, every one upon the roof of his house and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God. Now, can you imagine people come by and saying, what are these people doing now? These people are crazy. They come over here and built this house, and then that Nehemiah guy come over and then they start building the wall. I mean, look, look at what they're doing now. They're moving out of their nice houses and they're building these lean-to shacks, Brother Philip, out in the courtyard. They're building these shacks, these lean-tos, you know, out here. They, well, what in the world is the matter with these people? They are so weird. They are so strange. Yeah, that's exactly right. God wanted them to appear that way. Notice, and in the courts of the house of God, in the street of the water gate, in the street of the gate of Ephraim, and all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths and sat under the booths for since the days of Yeshua, Joshua, the son of Nun, unto that day had the children of Israel not done so. But now you look in the, in the Chronicles and also in Samuel and you see they had done so but not in this attitude. They had done this for centuries but they hadn't done it like this since the days of Joshua. They were in the middle of a revival of attitude. Praise God. Now they were doing some of the same things their ancestors had done and their grandfathers and their great, 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 great grandfathers had done. But yet the spirit, oh my, the desire, the passion, the, the want to, to do it, it had not been this way. Can you imagine? This part had not been there since the days of Joshua and he had been gone for all of these years, hundreds of years. Oh, children, the right attitude toward God's word is such an important thing. Don't you understand? We could have all of our doctrine laid down just exactly right. Boy, we could dot all of our I's and cross all of our T's and we could have our doctrine 100%. But if we don't have the spirit of God, we're as dead as we can be. Amen. <sighs> you see, the people were so enthusiastic the people were just so excited about doing whatever God said do. They just said, let's do it. And before they'd said, let's do it. Let's get her down. 
and get it over with. Let's go to church, let's sing, let's let the preacher get up there and preach like a machine gun, and let's sing two, three songs, and let us go back to the house. But now they had an attitude, let's do it. Amen. Yes, let's do it. With all of our hearts, let's, let's move out of our house. Let's move out of our nice house. What is it a symbol of us today? We have to move out of our comfort zone sometimes. God will move us out of our comfort zone and things and realms that we don't feel very comfortable being in. And boy, when we get in there, I'll tell you, it makes us uncomfortable, don't it? Oh, the joyful attitude of the people had not been this way for hundreds of years. Praise God. Whew. Did it last? Well, it lasted for a while. <laughs> Typical for revivals. Revivals will come, and then they kind of wane down a little bit. I found this. Someone asked Evangelist Billy Sunday if revivals lasted, and he replied, no. Neither does a bass, but it's good to have one occasionally. <laughs> Notice in Nehemiah 8, 18 now, also day by day, from the first day unto the last day, he read in the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according unto the manner. Oh, Chapter 9, verse 1. Now on the 20 and 4th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and upon the whole earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves. I heard a song today on the radio, a gospel song, and they said that we need an old-fashioned revival. And I just turned the volume down a little bit. And I spoke back to them people. They didn't hear me, of course. But I said, you want that old-fashioned revival, but you don't want the old-fashioned preaching to bring that old-fashioned revival. They want an old-fashioned revival. Even the world out here can see we need a move of God. They can see that our nation needs a move back to God. But they want the old-fashioned revival, but they want it brought in the new-fashioned way. Well, come on now. If it come by praying and fasting and people wanting more of God, then it won't come by people being lazy and rotten and sorry now. Oh, my. Notice, and the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins. Here's a revival, brother, sister. And the iniquities of their fathers, and they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one fourth part of the day, three hours. And another fourth part they confessed three hours and worshiped the Lord their God. So they read for three hours and then they had confession service. Whew. I'm not sure that even get us started. Oh my. I, I, I'm so sorry I, I got beside myself. I, I thought that I, I was preaching to Happy Valley Church. But I didn't realize there were so many angels that dressed up in clothes like these brothers were at a church all the time. And these sisters. You see, the crucial test of every revival, even sometimes people in our message think revival is just supernatural. 
It's just healing. It's just miracles. We believe in that. But let me tell you something. There's miracles and supernatural that happens out here if you'll open up your eyes and take the blinders off of you. Did not Jesus say, they'll stand before me in that day and say, I cast out devils in your name. I've done this and that and the other. Come on, children. The bride's revival is not just miracles. Well, you're going to get quiet on me again. Some of the preachers are going to quieten up on me now when they hear this part. But bride's revival is more than just dancing in the spirit. It's more than everybody getting loud and screaming and hollering. And I love it when people rejoice in the word. But what good does it do to holler and shout and jump straight up in the air if when we come back down, we don't walk a straight and a narrow path? You see, the crucial test of any true revival is that it brings a, a constituency, the, the people that have heard it, to a place of purification. Remember when Brother Branham stood on one of the great lakes of the five great lakes and he stood there and he said the water was coming up and boy, it was wave after wave after wave. And he said, what was it? He said, I thought about it. It was having revival. Now he said there wasn't one more drop of water added to that lake. But what that lake was doing, it was washing all the trash out. And all the trash has been washed up on the bank. Well, hallelujah. There you go, brother. There's revival. So it's not just, well, we're going to go down here and we're going to have us a, you know, a brush harbor meeting over here and we're going to have a tent meeting over there. I'm not against any of that. But many times we think revival is adding more people. No, it's getting rid of things in our lives that displease the Lord. It's a purification. Oh, Jesus. My, the Lord must be getting us ready for revival around here. You see, this is the kind of revival I want. Mm. To where the people of God are stirred. I particularly don't want just a stirring when we go to the Louisiana camp. I plan on being there. I'm going to preach a service or two. And my, we, we've been there for years and years. And many of our youth, uh, they're not youth any longer. We've got those that are mad and got children sitting here tonight that started going there years ago and their lives were changed. But we want more than an emotional stir. We want more than just youth rallying with the, with the youth. And sometimes the youth get youth spirits. And then when they come back home from that meeting, they're as dead as an old stick. Well, they won't hardly say amen to the preacher. They'll scream and holler and shout when they're in a youth rally. And then whenever they're sitting here in regular church service, they don't know how to operate. Well, thank you, Jesus. You see, this Jewish remnant was surrounded by idolatrous Gentiles who the Jews wanted to become a part of of their social network. Now you can imagine why that it was so difficult then for them to keep the Sabbath day. No Gentiles kept the Sabbath. So here is Saturday, which was the Jewish Sabbath. Everybody's going out on Saturday to buy their wares and their goods and their trading and so on. And you're a Jew and you're closed up. And you're at home trying to think of, oh, God. Whoa. Wonder how many customers has passed by my booth today. Whoa. Now, 
Now, a lot of them were businessmen. We know that as they are today. Wonder what excuse it was that they started making. Oh, you know what? The Lord will understand. The Lord knows I'm a little bit behind in my rent. Now, if I, if I could be open on the Sabbath day, then it would really make a difference. This one done it, then that one done it, then that one done it. Now, remember, God not only required that every seventh day, but God also required a year of jubilee that the slaves would be released. Then God also required that ever so often the land itself would have a Sabbath. So it would roll around to where at this particular year, you couldn't plant no taters, no maters, no cabbage, nothing. Nothing. The land gets a rest. Now think of it. So you are forfeiting one whole year and then you've got to wait to the harvest of the second year before you can even get in the crops for your family. So the sabbatical year, you plant nothing. And then the next year when you do plant, you have to wait till the harvest of that, which might have been several, several months. So it's almost two years. Why would God do that? To test them. The Sabbath was a test as well as rest. Don't you see our Sabbath is a test. It separates bride from church. You say, our Sabbath, you're talking about Sunday? No. Our Sabbath is rest. The Holy Ghost. Our Sabbath. Now we know we call Sunday the Sabbath, but actually the Jewish Sabbath was Saturday. And we're not told to keep any certain day. The apostles, of course, after his resurrection, met together on the first day of the week, which was Sunday. But the test of the rapture is still, as it was equivalent to the Old Testament, it is the test of the Sabbath. Can we rest in his finished work or do we need to help him? Can I have faith that his sacrifice is sufficient? Or do I need to add to my own holiness? Do I need to add this and add this? Or can I rest in his Sabbath? I hope you understand what I'm saying. Don't you understand when they went into Babylon, one of the reasons they went to, we'll close with this, one of the reasons they went was because of intermarriage and also because of the refusal to keep the Sabbath day and other laws. Why, why is that time frame so important? Why is 70 years so important? They're going in there for a year of every Sabbath they did not keep. 70 times 7. Oh, look at it. Whenever you look at the seven here and then look at the 70 over here, they had missed those Sabbaths of letting the land rest. They questioned God's word. They questioned God being able to take care of them. Look, it was a walk by faith. So in other words, we'll say 2023, you can't plant no crops. And then you don't get no, no harvest of your crop way up into 2024. And God said, I want you to trust me now. I want you to trust me that I'll be able to keep what you've got. And if your figs need to be multiplied, I'll multiply them. If your meat needs to be multiplied, but it took faith. Come on, children. It took faith. That's why Pentecost did not pass the test of the true Sabbath. Pentecost failed the test of the true Sabbath. They had to have tongues as an evidence. 
Don't you see why some of the message folks fail the test? They've got to have this doctrine, that doctrine, that doctrine, and that's the one they say, that's the bride right there, that's the bride. Don't you see what they're doing? The exact same thing. They're making a new evidence except that in tongues because they don't believe in tongues. But they believe the crowning of the bride's crown is this certain doctrine right here. But the bride is walking right on. Trusting him through trials, trusting him through sickness. Oh, we're going through this year. Oh, my. We're going through it, Brother brother West. And it may look like there's not enough food to get around. It may look like we're going through a hard time, but the bride is trusting him because we can rest on the promise of God. What's that? Praise God. You see, this is what people still miss about separation today. God told them to separate clean from unclean. Separation is simply total devotion to God. Total devotion to God. That's in your marriage, that's in your home, who you marry, where you go to church, so on and so on and so on. No matter what the cost. Would any of your brothers want to marry a woman that refused to take your name? Any of your brothers? Any of your brothers want to marry a woman? Would you want to marry Sister Lisa? She said, now look, Wes, I love you, buddy. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you, but I am not taking the name Willis. You can forget it. What about you, Brother John? Brother Joel? And yet, that's exactly the way the church is to the Lord Jesus. They refuse his name in water baptism. And they want to be free. Now, this is a type of modern-day Laodiceans to where that the man can have as many wives as he wants. You know, they got really weird, weird marriage deals in this day that we're living in. Whether they kind of live together, but then they're both free. So they have dates, and then they have boyfriends and girlfriends and, you know, whatever. And then, then that, that's the new thing. Oh, my. No, it ain't really that new. It was back in Genesis 6. That's why God destroyed them. The new thing has come back around. It was an old thing. Now it's a new thing. But that's the way the church, that's the way many people want to do the Lord Jesus. Now, Lord, I want you to save me from hell. And I want you to know right now, I don't want to be lost. I do not want to burn in no lake of fire. I don't want to do it. But don't you go tell me how to live. Don't you tell me now what I can wear and what I can't wear. And don't you tell me that I can't flirt with the devil. If I want to flirt with the devil in this marriage that we're in, I'm not taking on your name in baptism. Don't you tell me nothing about no devotion. If I want to dress in a certain way that'll make myself appear sexy before men, I want you to hold your mouth, Lord Jesus. Don't you say one thing about it. Now, if there's any man in this building that would put up with that, I got a little confidence in you being a man. Well, if you wouldn't do it as a man, how's the Lord Jesus going to do it as Almighty God? So any woman church that tells him, we'll have our board of directors to tell us what we can do. We don't need your word. Well, is it any different when message people do the same thing? We no longer need the Bible. We don't need this. We don't need that. Well, you may not, but I do. I don't want my name. I don't want my way. I don't want to go to hell, and I'm not going. But I, not only do I not want that, I don't want my stubborn, selfish way to rule my life. Praise the Lord. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. So when a man and woman get married, they separate. You may have liked another girl. You may have liked another boy. You may have had other friends. But when you really get married, and you're married to that person, you love them more than anyone else, you want to spend the rest of your life with them. Oh, how much more the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus says, don't do that. That bothers me. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't realize. But a lot of us, <laughs> well, what else you want? You took my cigarettes. You took my marijuana. Now you want my television. <laughs> you want my temper too? Well, calm down. He takes all them things from you so it can give you light and love and mercy and forgiveness and revelation and consecrate you only unto Him. What thou love Him, obey Him, honor Him, keep Him as long as you both shall live. You've answered me. You want to pray about it? You want to think about it? Well, let me think about it now. You're not fit to be married to Him. But with all of your heart, it should be, Lord, I do. If you're willing to take me in my shape, why in the world wouldn't I want to take you? Praise God. Let's bow our heads together if you would. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We have separated to him as our life's mate. You see, separation that ignores God and that ignores the saints of God is wrong. It's it's really strange, you know, how that some of the people in this message feel like that they're so separated, they're separated away from the rest of the believers. I ain't talking about folks that shut in. I ain't talking about folks that are sick. I'm talking about folks that just feel like they no longer need to come to church. They don't need a bodily presence in the house of God. There again, you're not based on a scriptural basis. When your Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, and that much more as you see the day approaching. And when the prophet quotes that, he says, as the manner of unbelievers is, not believers. Oh, my. Oh, praise the Lord, saints. How many wants a revival in your attitude? An enthusiastic stirring. Amen. Not just an emotional stir, but something that'll stir you to the Word. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, my heart is so moved when I read these things. I love the book of Nehemiah, Ezra, Esther. It's during a shaking period for the Jews. And we know that those things in the Old Testament, many of them are written for our admonition, our teaching, that we might be able to learn by Israel's mistakes, that we might be able to learn by the right things that they did as well. 
But Father, we can see how that the wrong attitude to the word when it was read, and they were mourning and crying and sad, and they had to be rebuked, as it were. I, I have to say myself, Lord, you've had to rebuke me at times because my attitude was wrong. Trials, tests, or whatever more. I got to feeling sorry for myself when in reality I should have been rejoicing that I'd found favor in your sight. Help us, Lord Jesus. As Job said, when he has tried me, I shall come forth like gold. The Lord give and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, Jesus, we love you tonight, Father. We rejoice, Lord God, in your presence. We rejoice tonight in the fullness of redemption, in reconciliation. We give you praise that we are accepted in the Beloved. We give you praise that we have an inheritance with the saints in light. We who were sometimes darkness, but now are we light in the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We fed on the world, partook of the world because we were of the world. Now we feed on the light, partake of the light because we are the light. Help us, Lord Jesus. May you minister to the need of every individual here tonight, Lord, in the visible audience and visible as well. Lord God, may you touch those that are sick and needy, those that are weary, those that are down, those that are discouraged. Father, may you minister to everyone tonight. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We want to do as your prophet has taught us. We want to come to the house of God. We want to give you glory and praise and adoration. This is what you want us to do. This ain't what Brother Donnie wants us to do, Brother Louie, Brother Aaron, Brother Joel. No, it's not what they want so much. It's what you want us to do. And Lord God, I want to do it every time I come to the house of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you tonight, Father. If you're looking for somebody here at the end of this service at Happy Valley to raise their hands up and worship you, I will, Jesus. I'll tell you, I'm glad to be one of yours. I'm glad to be your son. Praise God. I worship you tonight, Lord. Thank you for giving me strength through what I go through. It's you that has made me meet for this hour. It is you that has made these brothers and sisters meet for the time that they're going through. It's you that's given them strength. It's you, Lord, that's helped us. It's you. It's not us. It's you, and we give you praise for that tonight. Praise God. We love you, Lord Jesus. We worship you with all of our hearts. Sing something for us, Harry, that'll be conducive for us to be able to just love him just a little bit. Can we before we go? Oh, it's just a little bit early. It ain't nine o'clock yet.
Well, glory, glory, hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Since I lay my, oh, my, my burdens down.
once like a bird in prison I dwell no freedom from my sorrow I fell Jesus came and listened to me Glory to God He set me free oh, He set me free He set me free and He broke the bond of prison for any difference if the preacher prays for you? Well, I just heard the prophet saying this week, he was talking about that the, they had some people being prayed for, and he said, they took an x-ray, and out of this one preacher's hand was coming this light and fire going to the people. Now, he said it wasn't every one of them. Wasn't every one of them. He said they sent them loose in the hospitals in England. They called them the healers, and he said they had more success than the doctors in the hospitals did. Well, I, I don't know about you, but I believe my Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you believe and these brothers lay hands on you, you just expect God's going to do it for you. Why? Wow, well, we can't produce that light. We can't produce that fire. It ain't us. It's Him. But we're doing what He told us to do. Is that right? You believe Him? Pray with us when we pray for Him. sang this the other night, uh, Sunday, I believe. Let's sing it again. Lord, send the rain. Oh, Lord, we are the ones called by your name. Oh, we humble ourselves now as we pray. 
and wicked way. We lift our voice, seek your face and say, Lord, send the
on me.